Our Bible reading today comes from Matthew, chapter 7, commencing at the first verse. Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or, if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you will have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. Uh, well, friends, we are um, coming to the end of, towards the end of Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount that we've been in most of this term. Uh, what a spectacular journey it's been that Jesus has taken us on. Uh, if you remember, we started in Matthew's Gospel towards the end of last year, and Matthew, uh, he's shown how Jesus' coming was really, it's at the centre of all of God's great purposes and plans. The centre of God's great plan to redeem the world. He's come as the true king over the kingdom of heaven. And what he's been doing in this sermon is he's been showing his people what it looks like to live in his kingdom, in this kingdom of heaven that he has come to bring about. What a really righteous life looks like. And if you remember, all along the way he's been contrasting this, not the external righteousness of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the religious leaders of his day, not that external righteousness, but a righteousness from the heart, a righteousness from the inside out, not just a kind of mask that you put on. So Jesus, what he's doing here is he's drawing his sermon to an end uh, and he focuses in on the, uh, an issue that's a really key part of this inner heart righteousness. Uh, a really key part of it. Uh, you see, righteousness is about right relationships, right relationships with one another and with God and with the world. 
Uh, and there's a common danger in all our relationships. Uh, Jesus has sort of been, he's been flagging this all the way through, but there's this common danger that is just absolutely toxic. It's this overinflated sense of ourselves. Uh, it's self-righteousness. It's, to, uh, maybe Aussies will understand this more, it's being full of yourself. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's such a big issue. It's such a big issue. It just comes naturally to all of us. Um, but what Jesus opens up for us here is a stunning vision, actually, of a transformed life uh, in our relationships with each other and in our relationship with God. So uh, what does this self-righteousness, this being full of ourselves, look like? Do, what does it do for our relationships with each other? Well, it gives us a critical and a judgmental spirit. Uh, and Jesus says this is hypocrisy. Uh, he highlights this with this hilarious parable, right, in verse 3. Um, it's, uh, yeah, so Jesus in, in, invites us to imagine two people talking to one another, and one of them says to the other, uh, oh, oh no, I, look, I, friend, I don't know if you realise this, but uh, there is, uh, I can see a little speck in your eye, a speck of dust. Uh, uh, what did you do? Just come over here, let me take it out for you. Uh, but you know all the while that this guy is not actually concerned for his friend. He's not actually saying this out of love for his friend. And you know that because all the while he's got this dirty great big log hanging out of his own eye. <laughs> uh, so it's a ridiculous picture there, okay? <laughs> uh, it's meant to make us laugh, right? It's meant to make us laugh. But Jesus is a master of this, right? He draws us in, he makes us laugh. But then, then you realise, oh... Hang on a second. I'm laughing at this fool with a log in his eye. But what's hanging out of my eye as I do that? A stoby pole or something. You know? <laughs> what's hanging? So you see how subtle this can be? It's possible to be about extremely judgmental in your judgments about judgmental people. <laughs> and then there's the people who talk about people who are judgmental about judgmental people. You know, <laughs> like, hmm. So Jesus says this way of relating to each other is the way of the hypocrite. Uh, it's the external false righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, not the greater heart righteousness of his kingdom. So what's Jesus' alternative vision then for how we relate to one another? Especially when we notice something in another person that's like a bit of sawdust, <laughs> something that's not quite right, something that's out of place, potentially something that's dangerous. Um, well, Jesus goes back up, back up to verse 1. We'll, we'll, we'll travel back to what Jesus said. And it's possibly, especially in today's um, climate and culture, it's possibly Jesus' most famous one-liner uh, in, in the broader culture. Verse 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Uh, so it, uh, it is a well-kind-of-used verse in our broader... It often gets pulled out of context, actually, and it gets pulled out of context to mean no one should make any kind of moral comment about anyone else, about anything. Um, it's usually used for a small group of issues, though, not for everything. There's, there's a bit of inconsistency here. There's a whole range of things we'd never say this about, so imagine you're going home after church today uh, and you get pulled over by a police officer because you're going 70 in the 60 zone. And you wind down your window and say, oh, well, sorry, officer, but I've just heard Jesus tell me, do not judge, uh, so you, you can't find me. <laughs> you know, so. 
of course, there are far more serious examples of this, though. No one thinks a serial abuser or a mass murderer should be let off scot-free just because of this principle. But that's not actually what Jesus means here. He doesn't mean don't make any claims about moral realities. Um, he's actually, and you would have picked that up if you read this whole passage, right? Uh, we heard about uh, giving pearls to pigs. Um, next week, we're going to talk, hear Jesus talking about the need for his people to watch out for false prophets. And there's this clear and urgent message from Jesus about the judgment of God. So what's going on? Well, Jesus is talking here about this hypocritical way of, it's a way of making judgments that's hypocritical and self-righteous. A way of making these judgments that's blind to our own faults uh, and quick to pick up on others. You know, it's so easy for us to do, isn't it? We we can be so so easy on ourselves and hard on other people. Uh, it's, It's the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And Jesus says, uh, as he goes on, that the key to changing this critical spirit uh, is to realise that you too are actually a person under judgment. You too are a person under judgment. Uh, You notice someone's speck, but you have your own logs (laughs) uh, that maybe you don't even see. Maybe you've even managed to hide them from people around you, although that's pretty hard to do for very long. Uh, But God, the eternal and truly just and righteous judge, sees them, (laughs) sees those logs. Uh, Verse 2, for in the same way you judge others, you will be, be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus is saying, consider God's judgment on you. Would you like God to treat you with the same critical spirit in which you treat other people? It's a call of Jesus to his people for humility and grace in how we relate to each other. Um, But you see what Jesus says down in verse 5 there. It says, uh, first, take the plank out of your own eye and then... Just turn around and leave your brother well alone. (laughs) No, that's not what Jesus says, is it? He says, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus doesn't say, um, never say anything to anyone about any specks of dust. It's this call to humble discernment. Um, if you love your brother or sister, if you, if you really love your brother or sister, you'll, you will want the speck of dust in their eye removed because you love them. But you'll also assume that you, you can't see thing, everything clearly uh, because of your own logs in your own eyes. And you'll only say something about it after first humbly, prayerfully looking for that log in your own eye. And by God's grace, seeking to remove it first. There'll be, there'll be a graciousness and a gentleness about you, not that kind of hypocritical judgmentalism. You'll know that you are a sinner in need of grace, talking to another sinner in need of grace. Um, but 
Do you notice what Jesus does as we go on? Jesus does say that there may be times when a stronger call, a stronger call is needed. Of all, all of what Jesus has just said, it still applies when you get to verse six. That kind of it's a pretty um, confronting verse, right? Uses some strong imagery. A self-righteous spirit, though, is out of place at any time in Jesus' kingdom. He's not overturning what he's just said. But he is saying there may be times when the person you're talking to is just so persistently hardened to Jesus and his gospel, so violently opposed, uh, that it's better not to engage. See, Jesus uses some pretty strong language here, right? And you imagine this vicious pack of dogs or pigs. You know, don't throw your pearls to them. Don't, try, don't go on trying to engage with the precious pearl of the gospel Otherwise, they may trample those pearls under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Uh, See, it's a wisdom call here, right? It's not saying don't share the gospel with a hostile world. Otherwise, how would anyone hear the good news of Jesus? Uh, But Jesus is saying be be wise in your relationships, in the way you relate. Be discerning. Okay, there's so much in there, isn't there, for us to reflect on and, and chew over. Jesus is showing how his people in his kingdom, how, um, what his will is for them in our relationships with one another and to the world around us. But he's also, he's also shaping how we relate to God, how we relate to God. And I think that's the connection between these two sections. You see, that, that same kind of self-righteousness that's toxic in our relationships with each other is also toxic in our relationship with God. Uh, it leads to a kind of self-reliance and cynicism towards God, actually. Um, if you remember in chapter 6, uh, when we looked at the Lord's Prayer and Jesus teaching about prayer, that he talks about, talks about this hypocritical kind of praying that's really all about looking impressive in front of other people or trying to manipulate God even. Uh, you see, self, that's, that's the kind of self-righteous prayer that's in the background here. Self-righteousness means we'll see life basically as something that we do under our own steam by our own effort. And, and it'll also mean we, we just think we can't actually expect too much from God, really. Uh, his arm needs a little twist now and then for us to get what we really want. Uh, we'd never put it like that, of course, <laughs> but... Functionally, that's, that's how we can kind of relate, isn't it? How we can live? Well, um, uh, these verses, they're, they're connected to that start of chapter 7, but they also, they're like an endpoint for Jesus' whole main section of his sermon. So what is Jesus' alternative vision here? Um, I, I'm going to use a bit of a picture to, to, to draw this together because what, I think what Jesus says in this little section really does build on the whole main chunk of his sermon. Uh, this is a, an example um, from a book by an author called Paul Miller called A Praying Life. Uh, and he uses this image. I've edited it a little. Uh, but he says, To understand the sermon, think of your life as a room filled with open doors called money, sex, power and fame. Etc. So there's, there you go. You've got your life as a room filled with open doors. And as uh, this, uh, Paul Miller goes on, he says, what Jesus does in his sermon is he sort of one by one, he's closing all of these doors, shutting down all of these ways to, to do your life, 
all of these ways to do life. Um, so uh, um, he, he says, instead of revenge, turn the other cheek. Instead of putting up walls and hostility towards one another, be reconciled. Um, all of those things, if you've been with us, you should recognize what Jesus is saying there. Instead of living your life for the pursuit of money, lay up treasures in heaven. Um, the door of criticism is closed here in this chapter. It go, and there's more there. But he's closing off all these doors, but he's doing that so that he can open up a far greater door. A far greater door. There's another way to do life. Um, it's not the way of the hypocrite. <laughs> this is the way of his kingdom. The way of the poor in spirit. The way of, a child, of childlike dependence on your heavenly father. The way of prayer. Um, see, right, right at the heart of the sermon Jesus, Jesus teaches, remember his teaching in chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, uh, he, sh- he showed us back then the kind of prayerful longings he is forming in his people, among us. And here at the end, he comes back. So that was really the centre of Jesus' sermon. And here, towards the end of his sermon, he comes back to this new door, this new way of life in his kingdom. And so far from God being this distant authoritarian figure who needs a bit of an arm twist... <laughs> Uh, but who basically lets us get on life with our own, under our own steam. Far from that, Jesus says he is your perfect and good father just waiting for you to knock at his door. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. It's such an extravagant promise, isn't it, of Jesus? What do we do with it? Is this a kind of vending machine God that Jesus is putting in front of us? You know, ask for, in faith for that promotion or that new house or any other things you want. And if you get the technique right, uh, uh, bingo at the other side, you get what you want. Well, we have to remember what Jesus is doing in this sermon. What Jesus is doing through his sermon, he's trying to sh- he, he is shaping our hearts. He's going right down inside of us. He's shaping our longings. See, we have to read this promise of Jesus in the context of his whole sermon. What is it that Jesus is shaping us to long for? Well, uh, that's the, the great purpose of his Great teaching on prayer, isn't it? We've already seen that in chapter 6. To long that his kingdom would come in all its fullness. That his name would be honoured. That his will would be done. uh, That in humble dependence on him, he would provide everything that we need. He would give us forgiveness of our sins and guide us away from temptation and protect us from the evil one. And Jesus... Uh, Jesus has filled all of that out through his sermon too. The whole sermon really is filling what that looks like out. What does it look like for God's kingdom to come in your life? It means closing off those doors. Uh, The doors to anger and lust and revenge and pride and money and criticism and control. 
But you know, <laughs> right? You know that you can't do that on your own. None of us can. So Jesus invites us, invites you, urges you, calls you as a citizen of his kingdom to ask and seek and not to give up your self-righteousness and come to God in dependence and ask him, ask him to do within you and through you and in you what you can't do for yourself. And the promise Jesus makes here is he, that God will do it. Ask and it will be given to you. Uh, it's a scary thing to do, isn't it, to do that? It kind of means letting down our guard, letting go of some of the control we have over our lives, or all of it, actually. Uh, so what Jesus goes on to do is he wants to assure us that those who come in this childlike dependence to God come to the one who can be utterly trusted. Verse 9, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Uh, hopefully none of the parents here will do that, uh, unless it's a, a joke that you soon remedy afterwards. But no, no, you see, get what Jesus is saying here, right? Of course. Or if you ask for a fish, which of you would give your child a snake instead? But isn't it interesting how we can relate, we can sort of have an underlying assumption of God that that might be the case, that um, we ask him for some good thing and actually he, he, uh, we can't trust him to give us the good thing. If you, Jesus goes on, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Notice Jesus doesn't say, how much more will your Father in heaven give exactly the things they ask to those who ask him? Notice Jesus doesn't say that. Um, you don't know how God will answer your prayers. Sometimes that can be disorienting. Uh, sometimes you can pray for years and years for something and not see what God is doing. But Jesus says, keep asking, keep praying, keep trusting that God will give good gifts to those who ask him. What God is doing might be out of your reach, beyond what you can see. But you can know that it is good And it might be that part of the good thing God is doing is actually something within you. Uh, growing within you a deeper dependence on him. So you see how this might work? Uh, you might be praying earnestly for one thing or so, for someone or someone else. Uh, but God's first answer might be that he has actually got work to do in your own heart. So uh, you, you start praying for a neighbour or a colleague or a family member um, that they might stop being so rude to you. Uh, but in doing that, <laughs> in kind of releasing that into God's care, perhaps you start to see the way in which you're actually holding on to control or bitterness or unforgiveness. And God starts to show you that log in your own eye. <laughs> see, prayer, prayer is not a method for getting what we want. It's a way of life for people who know and trust the sovereign God as their loving Father who cares for them, 
who invites them to come to him and pour out their soul and to cast all their cares on him because he cares for them. So friends, are are you asking your father? Are you asking your father? He invites you to do it. Um, Many of us kind of have very different experiences of prayer um, from a whole kind of spectrum, a whole range of experiences and uh, I, I just want to um, recommend a book, actually, for those who maybe want to re-energise your prayerful dependence on God. I found this a really helpful book. It's by an author called Tim Chester called You Can Pray. Uh, I didn't get organised to get a few copies for today. Apologies for that, but you can pick it up at Kurong or online anywhere. Um, I found it a really helpful and accessible book about prayer. It's grace-filled and it's also practical. So I recommend you do that if you're a reader and... Um, that's going to be helpful. But I also want to put uh, before you an opportunity every week <laughs> to come and, and ask and seek and knock. So um, uh, we've kind of done this a little bit on the quiet. We haven't made much um, sort of promotions about it. You might have seen it in our weekly email, though, um, that we've started a 9am prayer gathering each Sunday morning here, just in the demandables over there. Uh, we started a prayer time before church at nine o'clock for those who are able to make it, and I, I really, I want to invite everyone here to that. Um, not everyone will be able to make that, I know, um, it, but it's not a special or select group of people <laughs> praying. Uh, and perhaps you could consider your Sunday gatherings as starting at nine o'clock each week, with half an hour of prayer, um, half an hour of gathering and coming before your father and asking him, knocking at his door. Not not everyone can, but perhaps you could. There's so much to ask our father about. (laughs) Um, Come and pray for our church, um, that God would move by his spirit in us and through us in our community. Come and pray for our gathering. One of the um, greatest sort of joys of those meetings in the last few weeks has been the way in which it's prepared our hearts for for gathering as, as his people. Or maybe there's a particular issue you're struggling with that you'd like specific prayer for. A um, whole range of issues. Um, could be you've just had a really horrible week uh, and you'd like a few people to gather around you and pray for you for that. Uh, come and join with your brothers and sisters in Christ and seek your Father's will in that. But uh, another, on, on the other hand, maybe you've been listening in today and you just think, I have, I, okay, I hear that. I just have no idea how to actually pray. <laughs> um, maybe you're a new Christian. Maybe you're not yet a Christian and you don't know what it would look like for you to talk to God. Um, maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you realise uh, that apart from sort of more formal prayers, your prayer life is basically non-existent. Maybe if that's you, you could just come to that prayer meeting at 9 o'clock each Sunday and just be ministered to by the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, you don't have to be prayed for if you don't want to. You don't have to say anything. You can just sit quietly and listen in. But wherever you're at, I just wanted to put that before you and encourage you to consider whether that might be a way you're able to tangibly, practically put into practice Jesus' word to today. Um, to come and ask him and seek him and knock at his door. 
Um, you can come once, you don't have to come every week. Okay, so there's no, there's no expectation, there's no pressure, but it's an opportunity for us as a church family. Okay, well, Jesus wraps all of this up in the last verse of our passage, verse 12. He, he, starts, he started, um, maybe you remember this, back in chapter 5, he started the main chunk of his sermon by saying, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And he comes back to that, that here. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This is like his summary line of his sermon. There's one sentence job description for his people. Uh, of life in his kingdom. Everything you said here, how we relate to each other, it's really kind of contained within this last verse here, isn't it? If you really leave this out, well, self-righteousness and anger just doesn't fit um, with a life that's living this out, does it? Your greed and lust, well, how, how can that fit with living this out? Your judgmentalism and desire for revenge, uh, that can't stay with, with this framework, can it? So, uh, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. It's like this um, sort of summary application for everything Jesus has said. And that would be a great thing, wouldn't it? To start praying for yourself and for each other as a church family. Maybe that could just be the one thing that you take away from today and just commit to praying that God would help you to do that. Oh, can I do that now as we finish? I'll pray for us. Thank you, our Father. Thank you that you are our Heavenly Father who invites us to come to you and to live in humble dependence upon you. Forgive us our pride, we pray. Forgive us our self-reliance. Uh, we ask, Father, that as by your Spirit we learn to close off those other ways of living in, in the world, those other ways of, um, of living, we, we pray that you might grow within us uh, the great fruit of your Spirit. Uh, we pray that we might be prayerful people who come to you and ask and seek and knock. Uh, change our relationships, we pray. Uh, transform them more and more into your likeness. Uh, so that we might live more for the praise of your glory. And we pray that in Jesus' name.